Yo, what up? It's QR Sinceri, a.k.a. NFTQT. I'm down in Miami this week for Art Basel and DecentralCon. So I'm releasing this podcast a little differently this week. What you're about to hear is an interview I did a couple of weeks ago on Dennis Garda's leadership series. We touched on the state of digital marketing, how I see Apple and Tesla getting into the metaverse, and some overall tech trends that are going to happen after the pandemic, as well as some good NFT talk. You know, I wouldn't forget about y'all. We're going to talk about NFTs, too. Next week, I'll be back with our regular programming. I'm planning to do a recap of Art Basel and how the contemporary art world is, is, is just coping in the era of NFTs. Anyways, I hope to see you all next week, and I hope you enjoy this show with me and Dennis. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Dinesh Guarda, Cities ABC, Open Business Council YouTube podcast series. Once again, here with global thought leaders and with the people shifting and shifting and changing the world we're living in. There's a lot of stuff exciting happening. I know that if you see the news, probably see most of the negative than the positive, but definitely I'm a very positive person, realistic, but positive. And I think in our series, we've been really focused on portraying the authors, the change makers, and the people that are really changing the world and coming up with new solutions, new ideas, and new ways of improving and optimizing what we have. So today, uh, welcome to our series. Uh, someone actually I'm very excited to interview and profile, uh, QR Santeri, that is the author of the NFT Unbook, which is a book that I read in detail. And uh, I've been quite excited because it touches a lot of things that are key for our time. And uh, just a short note about uh, the fantastic bio of QR Santeri. So he's an author and digital global expert. Uh, that has been the growth marketeer at Mark Cuban Companies, a Dallas, Texas venture. And of course, everyone listening to our series know Mark Cuban. But uh, Q. Harrison is a very high-profile digital and marketeer expert and author as well that made it four times as LinkedIn top voices in tech for his contribution to digital marketing and technology. And this book, the NFT and book, which is going to be part of the focus of this interview, is a detailed guide on how to create, sell, and buy non-fusionable tokens, NFTs, without the need of a technical background. And I think this is very important because at the moment there's so much um, myths and confusion about <laughs> what are NFTs, but the interesting thing is that NFTs are a very important thing. So QRSN has been featured on CNN, I think on Post, Xconomy, Cointelegraph, Mobile News, and a lot of different platforms. TEDx, a speaker and moderator, and has been a global spokesman for companies like BMW and uh, a lot of other big corporations and companies worldwide. So I'm particularly excited to welcome to our series, Kira Harrison. Wonderful to have you here. Yo, what up? What up? What up, Dennis? It's great to see you, man. It's been a long time. Fantastic. No, I'm really excited about this. So I, I want to go directly to your background. So I always start by the basis. Um, so you are, of course, over there in, in Dallas, which is a uh, very interesting uh, Texan. Uh, I think probably I, I got uh, from the Dallas series, who was my first childhood <laughs> engagement <laughs> with the city. But uh, what I would be likely to understand is, uh, okay, you have a fantastic body of work and career. Tell us a bit about your background. How do you come back into marketing, to digital and become a global uh, personality on this? Uh, my background... You know, I'm, I'm a technologist, I think at heart, always been a techie and a geek, uh, always been curious. And, and, and I think the thing that really got me into just this track where I think about emerging technologies was I used to really just be obsessed with the whole concept of like the future and, you know, what's coming in the future and wh where are we going and what does that look like? And being in that space uh, led me to thinking about, okay, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're usually inventing businesses or concepts for the future. But as a technologist, you can also look at uh, what technology is going to have a massive impact on our lives. And so I started back in 2015 writing stuff on a blog about that. And here we are in 2021, almost 2022. And we're thinking about uh, just how does the the technologies that have manifested in front of us today have tremendous impacts on, on our lives. And when it came to writing a book, I didn't feel any, I didn't feel any hesitation when it came to the topic of NFTs, because it's like, look at how transformative they've just been to where we are right now. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people 
whether you're uh, as young as 12 years old or as old as, you know, 60 to 70 years old. Dude, NFTs have made a life-changing impact. And we have story after story after story after story, whether you made money, whether it allows you to do something you've always wanted to do, whether it's uh, let you to, it, it gave you a new form of expression. Uh, it extended uh, a, a new way for you to communicate. Like the, 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 just the impact of this technology is just so vast that it's even hard for me to even comprehend um, just a 10th of it. It's completely right. So before I go to the book, I, I am particularly excited as well about your fantastic profile in terms of marketing. And uh, so can you tell us about how do you get into marketing? Because of course you have been working with some of the leading brands. You are of course working with Mark Cuban uh, Group, which is of course one of the most, I think actually I'm a huge fan, not just because of what you achieve money-wise, but because he keeps on the top of the wave. So I'm sure that you're working on a group like that, you have to know, but you work with brands like BMW, but how do you see digital marketing and how do you come back to this? Uh, and I have a second question, but I want to first to see how do you arrive here as a marketeer and how do you see the digital marketing as a well? whole? Uh, digital marketing. So I studied computer science uh, back in, in university and I uh, didn't want to code or debug all day, right? Like I realized to be a really good programmer, you're sitting in front of a screen uh, for a long time. And to me, I was a bit more social. I wanted to go out and I wanted to meet people and I wanted to collaborate in ways. And so I got a chance to, after university, get involved um, on the programming side of things, but more so APIs. And as, as, as most developers know, um, APIs are, are a way for uh, coders to make their lives a little bit easier. So if you created an API, ideally uh, you need to market that API to, to different developers. And so I was familiar with the syntax and I was comfortable you know, speaking in the, the technical jargon. And I thought I could do so in a unique way. So that's what got me into marketing. I just started marketing APIs. I started at a, at a company called E Street way back in, in 2014, 13, somewhere around there. And then did it all the way into you know, 2018. And did everything from, you know, the Eat Street stuff to Redox, which was a healthcare uh, API. And we were working with uh, data, um, data standards for interoperability here in the U.S. You know, we have um, this whole crisis with like healthcare and like a lot of it originates with um, how you get the data around a, a patient. Um, more easily accessible to providers even, right? Because the providers, they can't really communicate um, between systems. And in some cases, even within the same health system, if they have um, different standards, the data isn't as easily transferred or transmitted. And so that's how I got into marketing. Marketing was not something where I woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to be a marketer. I literally uh, said, hey, I don't want to program. And I, I like you know tech. I like programming. Uh, I just don't want to do it as a full-time hobby. And I was like, oh, I could, I could really do this marketing thing. And so I started just marketing uh, constructs to, to developers and uh, it, that evolved and it just has manifested into many things that, you know, a lot of people know me for today, whether it's the BMW campaigns or it's the stuff I do with Mark Cuban, or um, it's the things that we did at the agency. Uh, there's, there's just a, there's a fun there's a fun element of marketing where I think every time you start on a campaign, nothing else matters, right? Like a marketer is only as good as their last campaign. So it's a very hard profession in the sense that uh, you, you can't, there is really, there's a compounding effect of knowledge. So there's this knowledge base that you gain from each activity, but that's the only thing that's transferred. You know, you know, maybe you have a style, but even still that gets old because people will become accustomed to your style. So you really should be, um, you know, exploring styles and telling your, 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 your story or bringing awareness to your company or brand or service through the style. But you don't really want to marry a style per se because uh, then you have to go through the whole rebranding process. So there's a lot. We could do a whole dialogue on just marketing, but it's, for me, marketing is what pays the bills. I love that you, you're you coming from a technology background, but then you are as well very conscious about marketing, very conscious about arts. And one of the things that reading about your profile that was quite, um, uh, well, uh, I would say very uh, interested on is that you are the co-founder of, Inevitable Human, uh, futuristic yep. media platform for the future thinkers. 
and as well you are the co-founder of 23viv the world's Vivi, first digital vivi yeah uh, the world's first digital art marketplace powered by blockchain so can you tell us about these two organizations yeah 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 so inevitable human was a project that uh, we started back in 2016 or 17 i forgot exactly when uh but the whole concept was i mean when you really get into the the, the weeds of like some of these technological constructs of like singularity or um just even uh transhumanism right like there's these whole concept there's a lot of there's a lot of fodder out there on like this is what ai represents or this is what you know man machine relations represent there's not a lot of people distilling that information and talking about it from a lens that i think resonates with the common person or the decision maker that's out there and so what i wanted to do with inevitable human was create a create a concept where i simplified and distilled the whole concept of like what is the singularity like what is an ai controlled religion or what is an ai uh based day look like where ai just programs your day like if people give you intent like it's like Dennis and Q we both just say hey we intend to talk to each other right at some point but we both just tell our ais to make it work and we are blindly uh just just at liberty to this ai like i'm 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 spinning now right like i'm freestyling a little bit but this is a concept that me and you it actually doesn't sound that bad honestly if it said sign up here's a beta for that i would sign up i'd be like okay cool i trust the ai with my calendar i mean we trust ai with so many things like we trust ai with our 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 maps so when it comes to logistics going from point b to point a we trust it with money we trusted with uh discoverability and intent when it comes to uh just what your information you're looking for or what information you want to consume and so when you start to say okay what if we let, let that bleed a little bit into our everyday lives and we said hey Dennis Q and Dennis want to have a conversation uh my AI assistant or or calendar will program and, and select it and automatically uh manage that but then let's take it one step further because that's not that far away i think that that, that could happen today if we wanted Let's take it one step further. Let's say the AI knows based on our day how well we are going to be for that, how well prepared we'll be for that meeting. So it knows, you know, have you been working on your Google Docs or your Microsoft Word Docs that were the attachments assigned to that meeting? So had you put your, did you put your updates in yet? Did you create the documents that you said you're going to draft yet? Did you um, have time or has your heart rate been, you know, elevated at such a, a, a crazy level where it thinks you're stressed out? And so what it says is, hey, I think you need to take a break and rest and reset. So I've, I've reorganized and, and moved your meetings away. So here's this program, rest and reset, try to relax. And we're going to meet with Dennis at a later point in time. We'll still meet with them this week. We'll still make it so it's, it's best convenient. But like we're getting to this world where that scenario that I just described to you, Dennis, I mean, you talk to me. It's something you could, you, you'd see yourself using tomorrow, right? No, and we're using this. You're right. We are already oh, okay. doing this partly. So you're already doing this, right? But imagine you're just doing it on your side. Imagine if everybody in the same way, like an iMessage works. Like if I send you an iMessage and it's blue um, and, 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 I, and you send me one and it, you know, it's gray or whatever, um, we're in the same thread. We're using the same hardware. We're on the same, we're the same wavelength. When we start to think about AI and us all getting connected to the same wavelength, that's when this stuff gets really, really uh, impressive and incredible because now you're not just one singular node on the network. If you're doing it, it's just you're just doing it on your end. But if everyone's doing it and we're all a part of that hive mentality, well, then, damn, Dennis, like this becomes a really crazy life that we live in. And so the inevitable human project was uh, a place where I would go and put some of these thought prompts there. And uh, it was a, it was a paid resource. So um, we had a, we had a, around uh, we had a few thousand members on, on the platform and it was a, a, a almost daily newsletter. And I would literally write out in detail uh, the, this, the, the prompt that I just described um, daily. And I would find these these concepts and these these just interesting like ideas i would find companies or innovators that were working on it and i would put it in, i would lay it out let's say hey this is what i think and so this one i just freestyled as an example because uh we ended up uh sunsetting an inevitable human in 2019 um it was towards the end of the year and it, it was it's actually impeccable timing because it was 2020 was coming up we we're trying to figure out where it landed and i was i was doing my own growth marketing on that project and what i couldn't get to catch 
is I think it was way too uh, it was way too complex, right? So I was distilling these these complex things, and I was thinking I was bringing them down to like let's say the complexity was level four. I thought I was bringing it down to level one, and in reality, I was bringing it down to level two. So I was getting like the thought leaders and the decision makers that I wanted, but I wasn't getting the masses. And I took those insights. And I was like, hey, like this is a few thousand people paying us. It's great, but I don't want to like write a newsletter for the rest of my life. Like, you know, it's 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 a great living. We're making, you know, good money, but the amount of the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And so I came back and we sunsetted that. I uh, I did, I ended up making a book. It was inevitable human volume one. Uh, I think I should still put out volume two because that's written and it has some good stuff in there. But even volume one, like it's 2021, we wrote a lot of that stuff in 2016, 17, 18. Uh, a lot of those visions haven't even come true, right? Like that's 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 the the funny thing. We're starting to just see, you know, my other project you mentioned, uh, which is 23 Vivi, which is what I created in 2015. That was the world's first uh, digital art marketplace powered by the blockchain. I started that in 2015. Uh, Ethereum didn't exist. So we were working off the, the Bitcoin blockchain. And as you know, Bitcoin, their blockchain is in, inherently slow, uh, but it's very secure. And the, 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 there were a lot of factors as, it's, as to why I think 23 didn't work at the time. Um, the, most, the biggest reason is I think I, I, um, there's a point in entrepreneurship where you should surround yourself with people that can think as, as, as futuristic as you. When I started a company in Wisconsin, uh, I didn't surround myself with enough future thinkers where they could really see and understand at that time, uh, the world that we now live in with NFTs where digital files um, that are scarce could be worth a lot of money um, or it could be worth value in, in general. Like it, value doesn't have to be correlated with the money. Value can just mean that like I, I cherish this and, it, it, and it, it, is, it, is, it is something that I'm going to protect or care about. And so when I looked at it uh, from that lens, I was just like, hmm. So to say that, I'm, I'm, I know I'm jumping around, but in 2015, we were thinking about 23 Vivi. Uh, in 2021, the things that we were thinking about would come true. So you can only get a glimpse of what we were thinking about in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, and now 21 that was captured in some of those inevitable human dialogues that just haven't come to life yet. And so directionally, I think it was right. Uh, when I came to the NFT handbook, the reason why it's even called the NFT handbook is because I wanted to simplify it. I didn't want to be at level four anymore, right? NFTs, we can have a lot of level four conversations about the smart contracts and the values that live within them, but that doesn't reach that many people. It reaches the technologist that is working on it. It reaches to the entrepreneur that's thinking about building a business or, or finding the, the nuance and, and maybe there's a delta in which they can build for, but it doesn't really reach anybody, um, not the masses. And, 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 and with that, I was like, okay, how do you take that level four conversation and bring it down to a level one? Or even if even better, a level zero. I think level zero is really hard, right? Um, there's a Reddit thread. Uh, there's a Reddit. There's a subreddit. It's called "Explain It to Me Like I'm Five. and you see people every day uh, just go and try to explain these very nuanced concepts uh, through language that a fifth, uh, that a five year old would understand. And I think that 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 is the true definition of one, one understanding, but two communication. If you can communicate the same way with someone that has a level four understanding as someone that has a, a level zero understanding, and you can extract the, the ideas or the concepts that they, the questions that they have, that to me is a master communicator. And that, that's what I was aiming for. So inevitable human, I didn't exactly get there. I think on the NFT handbook, we're getting close. Um, I think, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation lets me know that it's resonating. You, your mind's going, you know, where, where you have ideas and, you know, that's what me and Matt set out to do when we wrote the book. It was like, hey, let's make non-fungible tokens easy enough for someone that wants to get involved. They have a, a, enough understanding where they can go and do some real damage. And, you know, the cool thing is I can point if you bought the book on the day it was released and you read it, let's say a week after, and you got started in like, let's say, um, I don't want to ruin the book for anybody, but let's say you, you, you looked into some of the projects that we, we picked up, dude, you changed your life a few times over, even if you just got a .eth domain, like you were a part of now what is, is what just came out yesterday, um, the Ethereum name service, they just did, they just created a DAO, and they just airdropped a bunch of tokens for the holders of the people that have uh, their, those domains in their, their wallets. And like, you would have been a part of that. 
And I know that there's someone out there. I mean, people, I have people that uh, have read the book and told me this story. So I'm not making a hypothetical story. This has actually happened. But there are people that are going and experimenting that don't have the craziest technological experience or uh, backgrounds, but they're participating in a technological revolution that if we had not done what we did, they would have been left out of. So that's my point. It's like, we can create diversity. We can do a lot of things. Um, but oftentimes when I look at the projects that do that, uh, they look backwards. They're not looking forward. And I think, you know, if you're truly a future thinker, you should be able to do these interventions in real time. And so when I asked myself, what is inevitable human? To me, it was the intervention trying to say, hey, you know, the next wealth, the next uh, visionaries, the next uh, ideators, they're going to be thinking about AI in 2015. They're going to be thinking about transhumanism in 2016. They're not thinking about it when it's when it's trendy. Like the people that are really changing our lives on NFTs, they weren't thinking about NFTs in 2021. Dude, they were thinking about NFTs in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. And then when their moment came, they were ready. They were already in, mo uh, in momentum. And so the momentum that, 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 that came through, it just carried their sales. And, and now they're in, 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 new, in new horizons. OpenSea is a great example of that. Super Rare is a great example of that. Both companies that existed for a long time before NFTs, um, the, the craze that we now call NFTs. And, you know, they were just staying afloat. They were just, you know, doing their thing. They were just, you know, selling the vision, selling the dream. And then it happens. And, you know, now some of the, they're some of the biggest companies that will, will ever be, uh, be, be, well, that some of the biggest companies or some of the biggest startups that we'll be familiar with today. So I know that was a very long-winded way of like answering that question, but that's how I see it. It's, it's wonderful. And I love that uh, the, the passion, but as well, the way you go through the details and through the process, because you have the, the sense of ideas. And like you said, of course, uh, I think the challenge is how we take these this concepts for you and me are natural because we're passionate about this and we all do our research, but the rest of humanity, unfortunately, is drawn on not even knowing how to use Facebook. And that's a bigger challenge. But I want to go back to the book because I think that I think we'll we'll take a second interview about that because I'm very interested in what you say, discuss here. But let's go to your book. And today, I think the stars should be you in the book. So um, what I like about the book, and I'll read just a bit of information about the book. So a practical and non-technical guide to NFTs. NFTs, non-fungible tokens are the ultimate collective immune to damage or deterioration and impossible to knock off, copy or pirate, they are soaring in popularity and value. So, um, and one of the things that you mentioned here, and if I go to the, 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 the index, is that in the book, you help how to create and mint your own NFTs from scratch. You buy existing NFTs on a variety of reputable marketplaces. You can create collections and sell your NFTs by fixed price or auction. Models real-time success with included case studies and secure and protect your own crypto, current, cryptocurrency wallet to store your NFTs. So this book is written by you, Kuyaris and Terry, and as well by Matt Fortnow, that is as well a very high-profile entertainment lawyer uh, turned tech entrepreneur. And this published, of course, by a very important international publishing house, Wiley. So... Uh, Q. Harrison, can you tell us why you came to the book and I, you touched the idea of making it simple? And I think this is really important. So let's go through the book. And for people that are listening to us, please find the book all over the internet. Um, there's a lot of information. Q. Harrison has fantastic social media, but please buy the book and read it. Because like you just said, Q. Harrison, this is not the future, it's the present. And the ones that live in the present, but understand how the future will be, of course, we will have a big future. But well, I'll pass the word to you because this is your book. And I would like to know more how you put it together. And this have been talking about the way um, people can democratize and understand NFTs. Yeah, man. Yeah. So the book came together because me and Matt were having a conversation uh, about NFTs. And I was thinking about um, just if this was the moment or not. Because I, I, back in March, after the, the people sale for $69 million, I, I was just like, it's cool, but is this really the time where everyone's going to understand and latch on? Because there's a lot of things that happen in tech. You know, me and you both know that where we observe something big happening and then, you know, nothing transforms out of that. Like it just kind of just, it is what it is. And so I didn't know if NFTs would, would get the, the, the attention that 
they deserved at that point, I thought it would take more. And quickly, very quickly, I realized that, that I was I was incorrect. I was wrong. And, and I was cool with being wrong. And so me and Matt were talking about, you know, the smart contracts essence. So we're having this level three, level four conversation, right? And I'm like, Matt, like no one is understanding this stuff at the same level that me and you do. Like I understand it vaguely because I was working on this stuff back in 2015. But you understand it because you're an attorney. So you have this, this inherent just knowledge base that's never going to get captured unless there's another attorney that has the exact same experience as you. And not only that experience, but Matt's also a former entrepreneur. Um, well, I guess not former, uh, I guess, I don't know. He's an entrepreneur, right? He's not, he's not, he's, he's, he's doing, he's doing his thing. Cause he already exited. He sold his company uh, a while ago, but like, you know, Matt's balling. Right. And so he has, he knows the grind. He knows the process. He's an attorney. He knows uh, like, all the different in inherent parts of that. And so we're having this conversation and we're talking about IP and uh, provenance. And we're talking about what it means to, to mint something first. And you know, who can, what's the arbitration process on that and the, the copyright and all this nonsense, right? And we're just, we're just going, we're riffing. And it gets to like hour two and a half on our conversation. Um, this is the first one, cause we had several, but this is the first one. And I'm like, yo, Matt, we should co-author a book. Because he was already writing stuff because he's an attorney. So he's like taking notes. And I think he was already on the way where he was going to create a book. But I was like, yo, I know you're working on a book or potentially, but like, let's do it together. And we started hustling and, and just grinding it out. And like my whole premise was, Matt, you understand the technicalities on the legal side. Smart contracts are still contracts. They just added a little bit of programming to it. That's it. A phone is still a phone, but when you add the smart to it and it becomes a smartphone, you just add a lot more functionality. But at the end of the day, it's still a telecommunications device that allows you to connect with someone on the other end or like next to you or on the other end of the world. And so when I was looking at it from that, that perspective, I was just like, damn, like I wouldn't feel right writing a book without an attorney next to me um, just because I didn't go to law school. Uh, how am I gonna talk about contracts and you don't have that 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 context, and I think Matt really just you know killed it on on that 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 side of the the thing. And working with Wiley was great because you know Wiley was able to um, help guide us in a way where we could move fast, right? Like we started working on this thing uh, in March, and you know it's in your hands by October. That means we had to write uh, like several of that book back and forth and we didn't have a lot of time and you know we were worried in the throughout the process like because whenever you're putting something together and the industry is literally unfolding you have to document it in a way where you're like this shit needs to have value uh even after we've we've, we've published it and put it out there and so there was a lot of things that we either uh moved or like transitioned or transformed because we knew we couldn't exactly get it like uh and, and that's and then there was this this line we toyed with too where it's like is it too you can't make a book that's too visionary where no one gets any substance out of it right and so that's why we we focused on you know making a book that if you picked up you learn what an nft is you learn how to collect an nft you learn how to buy an nft and you learn how to sell an nft right and i thought that like you know with that understanding you know the fundamentals it's almost like an nft 101 but I, I don't like calling it a 101 because I know people that have done a lot in NFTs, even myself included, and they still learn things from this book, right? There's things where I'm sure you picked it up and you were like, oh, I never really thought about that. Or yeah. this is a different angle, or this is a new perspective. And like, hmm, I, I guess that is possible. So the book, even though it is like aimed at a 101 audience, it's a great primer for people that like are already in the game and just need to figure out a new way to articulate, you know, some of the, the <laughs> concepts that they've been doing for a while. So I know I'm, I'm, I'm the long, long-winded way of saying it, but that's how the that's how the, the book came to be. So, so I, I have uh, well, I have a lot of questions that I can imagine, Go but I'll it. try to keep it short. Uh, so let, let's start by I think one thing. Of course, you and me can talk for hours about NFTs, and we have quite a lot of a uh, uh, passion and as well knowledge. But uh, of course, like you said, we are always learning, and actually, I learn a lot with this book, especially 
of course, having a lawyer here was fantastic because there's your part and there's, you feel that there's knowledge as well. So I want to start first by the history of NFTs because you touched that. And of course, I started looking at NFTs in 2016, ironically. I remember the, when the first crypto kitties were done and things like that. But, uh, but I, I, it's funny because in, in 2019, end of 2019, I was in a, in a conference with the director of Whitney Museum and we were talking about NFTs and of course even me I would never imagine that okay one year and a half after this is a 12 billion dollars industry and it's kicking off everything and at the moment for people listening to us the searches for NFTs are bigger than the searches for crypto which is actually something quite impressive as well so uh, let's talk about the history of NFTs as the first part. Um, and then I want to go to the second part. This is actually, you have a chapter in the book, it's chapter four. So if you could summarize, of course, it's a big, a big question, but if you could summarize a bit, because I think it is important for people to look at this. No, I think, um, one, thank you for reading the book. I, I think that that's, uh, I, always, I always appreciate when interviewers like come into the game and they like read the book. And when we were writing the, the history of NFTs, it's one of those things where, or I guess when we were writing chapter four, the history of NFTs, because for the people that haven't uh, read the book yet, um, Andy Warhol just kept coming back to me, right? Like I was just like, yo, Andy, Andy, and like the artwork that he made and just, you know, it, you can go further back and, you know, I'm, I'm actually in talks with some people that are doing some research um, to make any more uh, in-depth timeline and I'm sure we'll include that when we revise the book at some point I don't we haven't started that process yet but I'm already starting to do notes where you know this this part of the the project where I think you know we start with Warhol but I definitely believe that there's work be, that predates Warhol that you can consider digital art um, especially when you start to think about like the VHSs and, and like you know just video like your video as an art obviously that existed and predates Warhol but how much of that uh, goes back and forth. So without getting too into the nuances of the weeds there, the history of NFTs is interesting because I didn't really want to say it started in 2016, 15. Uh, you wanted to go back and say like, hey, uh, all of the art that is digital, like the, the museums that existed, the people that have been trying to preach this stuff for, to the masses for a long time, I wanted to acknowledge them. And so that was the, that was the impetus for that chapter. Um, and I think telling a story in a technical book, um, that chapter really tested it, right? Because you have to tell the story of Warhol and it has to be fundamentally and factually true. So it's not like a, a, a biopic or biography or an autobiography where you get to kind of like write the story or the narrative. No, like when you're working with Wiley, you've got like editors and people are saying, is this, did this happen like this way? Or did you, did you, did you fact check this? And like, you know, it's a grueling process, but it, 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 it's good because I think it made uh, that that part super sound. So um, I, I mean, the history of NFTs, it, it's still being written and like there's no way to capture it all. But just to give you a glimpse, I think chapter four does that really well. I completely. And, and another chapter that I want to talk and you touched on that, but I think it's really important is the legal aspects of NFTs. And I want to touch this because um, of course, as you know, I'm very involved in NFTs. And for instance, speaking with high profile artists and I work personally with people from Depeche Mode, people like Patty Smith, uh, so very big artists. And I'm actually working right now with a couple of Hollywood and, the, and Bollywood people is that the challenge right now is, okay, when we create an NFT, of course, there's the digital variation, the certification that you put in online in a smart contract. And that in itself is a piece of art and the certification that you can buy, own and store somewhere and actually resell. But that is as well, a lot of parts. And that's what you guys describe about the licensing and all these different things. So I know that is a big question. This can be no, going no, no. for hours, yeah. but I want to touch at least top level. Yeah, yeah, top level, chapter nine, um, the legal aspects of, of NFTs. I think if you're just getting involved in NFTs for the first, first time, obviously I'm not an attorney and this isn't legal advice, but what I'll say is find an attorney, uh, ideally a copyright attorney, right? And try to err on the side of doing as much as you can and documenting, um, getting permission, uh, figuring out, you know, what the limits and extents of your NFT are, uh, trying to legally describe what the NFT is. So that way, if there is ever a point in time where things become questionable or there's a misunderstanding, you've already done enough on your part, um, ideally, to, to make that process a little bit easier on both parties. And I think 
that's where we're at, man. It's so new and there's so many things here that we just don't fully understand. I, uh, I, I, my, my biggest thing is like, hey, like make sure you keep your attorneys and your accountants right next to you because those are the most important people in this new world uh, of NFTs and crypto. I mean, like the accounting side too, right? When you think about, you know, how do you, what, how do you do accounting on NFTs? You really want to start to think about these things now. So that way, when you've launched your project or when things uh, go as planned or they don't go as planned, you have the right uh, knowledge base and you have people that you know that are familiar with the project from its, its start to finish or its start to wherever you're at, um, familiar and, and bought in. And I think that like, there's, there's, it's so new, like Dennis, I wish I had a better answer for you. We, we captured and, and Matt really did his thing on chapter nine when it comes to uh, touching base on some of these concepts. And we talk about artists such as Shloms who like, you know, flips copyright on his head and you know there's just there's so much to cover here i think this could be a whole interview and i i, I would really love to have matt because i think you know i'm the person that's all i'm the entrepreneur i'm the future thinker i'm the dude that's like man just push forward and do your thing and like let the attorneys figure it out later and matt has really good points where he's like no you shouldn't do that you should do this this and this and so i think just because i can't do a better job of explaining it the, the, in the nuance and i haven't spent as much time thinking about it on the legal side as matt has I think that's a perfect time for us to bring him in uh, when, whenever we have that. No, no, I understand. And I, I would just uh, look at what you have because this is very interesting for people listening to us. And I think, so you touch the, of course, getting the legal is really key. But I want to highlight this because I know that a lot of artists are very confusing. And I'm talking not small ones, even big ones. So if you're a small artist listening to us, at least some aspirational, don't get nervous because everyone is in the same, uh, in the end, we are all on the same train. But you have here very interesting things. So are NFT securities, intellectual property rights, right to publicity, right to privacy, contracts and taxes, we should touch it. So I, I want to touch then in terms of, um, um, so I think it's particularly interesting is what you have in terms of uh, your area of expertise, QRS. And so you have been, of course, creating, minting, involved, of course, with Mark Cuban, that is one of the biggest collectors of NFTs in the world. And actually you did all the collectives for, um, actually, the first ones in the world as well, in terms of uh, uh, basketball, the NBA, and a lot of these things. So there's a lot of things when it comes to NFTs. There's collectives, there's art, there's, well, I'm working property NFTs. There's a lot of things that you can think about it. But can you just touch more in terms of uh, the marketplaces and uh, a bit where people can actually look at these? Of course, there are people that have different level of knowledge, but I think everyone can actually learn a bit especially the part of creating and meeting nfts like because that's the good thing about this book is that you actually did a fantastic work to democratize and simplify how to do it and i know that is something that i, I suggest people to read it and actually read it multiple times <laughs> but uh, but uh, i think the if you can go to the top basis yeah, yeah i'll talk about it uh, like this like why should you care about this stuff you bring up this great point about democratization and when I think about what it means to democratize something, it means to create access in a way that a person can understand and have their own thought, right? And not groupthink, not I watched a video and I'm just regurgitating the same things that someone else told me, but you get to a point where you, under, you develop an understanding where you can ask yourselves questions that you either say, hey, I agree with this because of X, Y, and Z, or hey, why not this way? Or hey... Uh, I, I don't really agree with that for these reasons. And I think that we don't do enough of that when it comes to democratizing access to, you know, emerging technologies and just different types of media. Um, and so when it comes to NFTs, a lot of people are like, what's an NFT? Then once they understand an NFT, there's a drop off. They're like, okay, I know what NFT is. They've never created an NFT. They've never minted an NFT or they've never minted an NFT and create, thus created an NFT. They've never collected. They never bought. They never purchased. They've never been to a marketplace to go shop. You, you might have window shopped an NFT, but you never, you know, press buy. You never put a bid in. And why is that? I, I, I have an inclination, an inclination to believe that it's, 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 it's probably due to a lack of insight, right? Like, you know, to your point earlier, reread the chapter, go through it a lot of times. And then there's also this whole this whole concept or premise too. I don't know when this is airing, but um, you know, I think reading was 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 the right first step. But you know, there's an audio book that we're gonna release, right? And so that's gonna allow people that aren't necessarily the best readers or the, that big on reading, will be able to listen. 
Um, there's a, uh, a docu-series that we're working on, right? And that's gonna come out and that's gonna showcase another thing. And it's all of these things are educational tools that showcase how to do all the things just described. And on the marketplaces side, you have kind of twofold. If you don't, if you now know how to make these things, you need to learn how to sell and buy, right? And I think marketplaces are, are great because they have both. They have people that are selling NFTs and they have people that are buying NFTs. And if you know how to like, like work and in, 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 in utilize the marketplaces to your best advantage, uh, that creates opportunity within itself, right? Like, you know, the people that know how to program an open C smart contract, uh, you know, there's an advantage there. So they, 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 there's artists like uh, Jessica Ragsey. I talk about her in the book. Um, she literally started making NFTs this summer, just using OpenSea, dropping them. And is literally, you can watch from her first NFT to her current NFT, uh, an artist just kind of develop an understanding by doing. Um, Beeple's the similar way, right? Like Beeple's been doing these every days for almost 14, 15,000 days. That's crazy. Right. Every day you're watching someone develop, a, further develop an understanding. And so I think that there's something said about just giving someone enough information so that they can go get started. And you never know, they might be the next Jessica Ragsy or the next people. No, and I think you made a very good point is that I think even me, my YouTube channel where we are here has been my learning with people like you. And this is about discipline. I'm trying, I'm doing interviews almost every day. And uh, the point is that you spend hours doing very stupid things, everyone. And I think the way we use our time can be done. And I think a lot of these artists that are very successful, and of course, everyone looks at them and you think, okay, no way I'm going to get into this stage. But all of them started somewhere. And I think this, there's a documentation of almost all these artists. Like I said, people is super diligent. I actually admire him a lot because his capacity of work, it's massive, okay? He delivers one, there's a new creative piece every day, okay? And there's as well, he explains a lot of these things if you see interviews. Um, of course, a lot of people that are into this, they really explain and go on. Of course, I think your book, it, the wonderful thing is that it simplifies. So it's, a, it's kind of a, it's like you said, it's a guide. Okay, it's a great guide because it goes through the thing. So you can actually go, for instance, I think that is one part that I really like in the book is that you go through the part of uh, um, how to create the accounts. Okay, this sometimes people miscalculate this. Even me that I, I, I first, I lost one Bitcoin in the past. Okay, and of course the Bitcoin now is quite a lot of money, uh, but, uh, but <laughs> it's the kind of things that you, everyone does these mistakes. Okay, even people that are very high profile people. So, so I just, I, I really appreciate that. So I know that we're passing one hour. I still have two or three more questions if you have time, because- Dude, then, Go yeah. for it, let's, let's, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Fantastic. So, so I, I wanna talk, uh, so, um, and I think making a bridge between the NFTs and the work you're doing as well um, with uh, Mark Cuban, because Mark Cuban is one of the biggest investors in NFTs and platforms in the world. So one of the mm -hmm. chapters you have here is precisely about NFT marketplaces. So you have yeah. OpenSea, and this is chapter five for people listening to us. So OpenSea, Rarible, Nifty Gateway, Super Rare, Waxatonic Hub, um, Foundation, NBA Top Shot, Biv, Known Origin, Myth, Market, and Wrap Up, which are the ones you highlighted, which are actually the biggest probably in all the different areas. Um, of course, there's much more, but these ones in terms of volume are definitely. So when are you looking at your work here as an author and as well someone that researched this in, in a very short period, but in the end of the day, you researched in these months that you mentioned, but there was a lot of pre-work done with your expertise in marketing, digital, blockchain, uh, AI, a lot of these things that makes this much easier. And of course, explains why you managed to do it so fast and a lot of discipline as well. But from the experience of working in writing these things, but as well doing marketing for the Mark Cuban group, that is as well a big collector of NFTs, how do you see the industry growing? And I think this is more an industry question because, of course, you are in the epicenter in two layers. Okay. So, so, so I wanna... it's funny. So, so yeah. you asked that in like, I think, I, I think uh, the last chapter in the book where I talk about the future of NFTs is actually yeah. a, a better place to start um, for this question. Um, yeah, those marketplaces that exist today, they definitely have shown us what's possible. Um, and they're still working on um, the nuances between the possibility and, and tomorrow. Right. Like, you know, it's cool to see super rare, start to think more about traditional art. Right. And, 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 and show 
what it means to have a traditional artist on their platform. I think it's cool to see OpenSea uh, really get into the economies of certain so, smaller NFT projects, right? So you can see a long necky ladies uh, market cap and how the price is changing because dude, there's very few platforms where you can do that. Like, I mean, because of the blockchain and because of the transparency, instead of trying to like most people omit transparency, they say, oh, I'm not going to show you my data because it's my data. Um, OpenSea built a place where it's cool to show people your data. It's cool to talk about the floor price. Dude, that's that's that in itself is unlocking a future where we have yet to even experience the 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 we have yet to experience even the the smallest bit of what's possible because there is a kid right now that's thinking about it. There's a there's a programmer in a garage somewhere that's thinking about it. And there's an executive somewhere that's saying like, hey, I've seen this before. I'm going to change it and do blah, blah, blah. And they're all going to do something different, but they're all working into, uh, they're all walking into this industry because of what they've seen on a marketplace. And so I think that that's cool. But when you ask me, where is the industry going? Um, or where do I think the industry is going? I think the consensus is, you know, the next step, it, like I said in the book, is the metaverse, right? And the metaverse is interesting because what is the metaverse? Right. That's that's the that is the the grandiose question that we all are trying to figure out. What is the metaverse? We know what a metaverse is as described by Mark Zuckerberg. We know what a metaverse is as described by uh, Fortnite and Roblox. We know what a metaverse is as described by uh, Ready Player One. In the book, the in the book, um, and so now we're asking ourselves today. What is a metaverse? And I think NFTs, when you have scarce digital objects or scarce digital files, dude, it just makes it so exciting to know that at some point you'll probably be able to take these files into digital destinations that have value within the, inherently just because of the community. Like you look at the central land, right? And you're like, oh, okay, the central land's cool. Like we're buying virtual real estate. No, it's not virtual real estate. That's an actual destination that people will be hanging out in. And like NFTs are the items. NFTs are are the, the non-fungible tokens that people will be um, uh, transacting and in, 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 in working around because you can't right click and press save as and now you have the same file that I have. You might have a copy of it, but your copy, if you go and try to transact, it's going to be invalidated. And when it's invalidated, guess what? My copy, the original one, the real McCoy is worth a lot more because you just arose the, or you just, yeah, you just arose the awareness of it, right? Like you just, you just brought forth the attention that like, oh, I, it's the same thing. It's like when someone's rocking a fake uh, watch or fake shoes, they might be okay with that. And there's nothing wrong if they are, but because they are showing that watch or that replica or that shoe to someone else, it raises the profile. People are like, oh, that's what a Rolex looks like, or oh, that's what the, the Yeezys are. And now people are like, oh, I want, I want to go see. They don't go find the fake one, they go find the real one. And the demand for the real one uh, increases and thus the price increases because these are scarce objects, right? We understand this stuff in the real world. So I don't think that it's going to change much in the digital world. It's just going to, the timeline's different. And, you know, I think gaming NFTs, you hear that all the time. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a concept. If you want like a fresh, fresh perspective from me uh, on like what the future holds, I think we're going to get to a point where Mark Zuckerberg isn't the only uh, person talking about metaverses. I think we're going to see Tim Cook possibly talk about metaverse, right? I think we'll see an Elon Musk talk about a, a, a metaverse. I think we all can agree that Tim Cook talking about a metaverse probably looks something like an augmented reality device using some type of Apple hardware. They've got a billion plus customers. They can figure it out, right? That's interesting because when you have a billion plus customers and you actually have hardware in, in the space, what we've learned is you can set standards more easily, right? And it's the same reason why... Apple, uh, when they attempted to do the M1 uh, architecture architecture change for the processors, you know, what would have taken a smaller company decades probably to manifest, Apple could do within a few years. And so that's the power of having a built-in network effect in a built-in user base. And so Apple, I think we all agree, that's level one. Level two, I would say, is like Elon Musk. If he were to like go and say, I'm going to do the metaverse, 
dude, it's going to have a much larger impact than when Mark Zuckerberg said, I'm going to do rename my company Meta. This is our metaverse. Because Elon has hardware. He has cars. Those cars have uh, uh, almost almost computers that are almost as powerful if not more powerful than gaming consoles and, and, and gaming pcs and we already know that those those in order to play uh you know video games at, at high settings uh you need some pretty intensive gpu and graphics power and i think that tesla has like 10 teraflops right when uh, i'm starting to talk uh, level three and level four but when you start to think about okay they've got millions of teslas out there they've got cameras on these vehicles and that's incredible mapping software if you told me Tesla said the metaverse is 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 like this transformative Pokemon Go instead of it being on your phone, but it's your car and it's all about where you go and the places you'll go and the things you'll experience, and you can take that back and access that on your phone, they already have that. That's already a built-in network. They just need to unlock uh, unlock the the like turn it on, like literally turn the key. And so then that becomes a metaverse, right? Because you've got this digital space that the Teslas already live in. And, and when you look at the marketing material for like the computer vision, I mean, that looks like a metaverse if you ask me. It's like the maps. It's kind of like the, one of the backgrounds behind you when you have like the AI just bouncing off things and saying, oh, there's a biker. Oh, there's a truck or oh, there's a semi. And so it's like, dude, just imagine living in that world. And like, you know, what would that look like? And like, how do you get access? And like, I'm talking and like, these are ideas that I think we will see come to life in the next nine to the 10 years. And none of us really know what it looks like, but what's possible based on what's out there um, is pretty exciting. And in the ability for NFTs to really uh, make that more of a reality is is more true today than it ever has ever been, because you now have you know almost a million people or a million wallets out there that are transacting and trading these these NFTs and and creating real value not only for the creators of the NFTs, but also um, the people that are, are buying and selling and transacting the NFTs, like they're making, you know, real, real money. And, you know, you can, you can go and exchange Ethereum and get cash. You can go and exchange Bitcoin and get cash. And I think that that's, that's the, the, the most exciting thing about crypto. So I think uh, to summarize, NFTs, uh, we, there's so much that can be happened and accomplished, but I think the most obvious use case right now People are going to try to figure out, you know, how does this fit into a metaverse? And I think what we call a metaverse will change uh, within the next five to six years. Yeah, probably will be your next book. Definitely is a big thing. <laughs> hey, you're a smart man. You're a smart man. <laughs> no, no, I think I'm completely with you. And I think definitely the, the metaverse, I, I see the metaverse a lot in the area of the digital twins, uh, because in the end of the day, we're creating digital twins for our health, for everything we're doing, for our cities, for a uh, for everything so that definitely this is going to be of course the metaverse is much more than just digital twins is effectively an entire ecosystem digital that is in the diverse the meta but well uh, i think we'll we'll take that uh, probably I, I definitely want to continue with the more series so wrapping up this and i think we went through one hour or something so definitely i i suggest everyone and i'm looking at the book as we speak i think definitely the book is very concentrated there's a lot of information here i suggest please go through this because I, I really one thing that I always tell people is okay we we have time as much as you Mark you and me so it's about the way we use our time and definitely this is the present that will make our future more prominent more successful and so forth so one of the last questions Q Harrison so um, I know that you're doing a lot of stuff and uh, like you said in your, your Twitter account working during the day with Mark Huber and during the night a futurist and a thinker. So as, um, of course, you have the book and uh, the book is recently launched. So I'm sure you guys are going to be a big success. Actually, it's one of the, probably there's not a lot of books, first of all, about NFTs. And this is by far the best I found so far. So congratulations. But uh, in terms of what you guys want to do, and as well, you personally, uh, bearing in mind all the things that you have and you're doing, how do you see right now the next stage is for the, well, you touch about the future of NFTs, but I would like more in terms of the future of digital relate to the NFTs. Because of course you are a digital at heart, you are an innovator and a tourist. So a bit about the future, how do you see all these things? So talk about NFTs and metaverse, but other areas. The future of what? What, what is the question? I think, how do you see the future present of the time we're living now? 
I think that would oh, be my last question. Uh, that's a, it's a big question. Yeah, it's a moonshot question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. It's a super big question. I think uh, right now, um, man, uh, you can be five me. priorities. Let let me. I know that is a big one, but I want a big one because everything I read about you is about the future and about these ideas. And we start talking about AI, talk about these things. Yeah, I just yeah, want to no. see how do you see this moment so, that we are right so, now. Yeah. So I'd like to think about it, like just so everybody can, like I could, we could go and talk ten years. I'd love to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. let me let me talk about the next four. So we've got to figure out the chip shortages. But once we figure out the chip shortages, I think a lot of people are underprepared for how fast technology is going to uh, change. Like we're going to see, we're already getting a taste of it. If you look at the Apple M1, uh, is it the Max uh, processor that just came out? Look at how fast and powerful that and power efficient that that chip is mind-blowing but what we haven't realized is that the scientists have kept working the supply side is what's not figured out right like the, the logistics like getting stuff from point a to point b that's what's not figured out just yet but the innovations is happening and so we've never really had a time that i can remember in technology where there was a lag between uh getting people the devices in their hands so in the next four years, once we figure out the chip shortage and just how things uh, unfold there, we're gonna have this point where like, we're gonna redefine what fast is. We haven't reached it yet, but like, you know, these, these just the devices that we use, you're not gonna wanna use a device from 2018. You're not gonna wanna use a device from 2020 because when you get to 2024 and you pick up the device, it's gonna be night and day. Um, it's kind of like if, you pay, if I gave you an iPhone 10 and I gave you an Android, uh, like G1, like the first Android device. I mean, they're both very capable devices, right? Like one's going to be inherently slower than the other. That's probably going to be the juxtaposition. It's going to be like, wow, like we, what are we going to do? We're already seeing it with certain devices. I think Apple's ahead of the curve here. I think they, they've also been ahead of the curve of supply chain. So this makes sense. But like their M1 processor, still mind blowing. I mean, they have the M1 also in the iPad uh, Pro series, which is crazy because you've got this like desk, top class CPU in an iPad and like it works. It doesn't overheat, it doesn't overpower. So I think processing and just the speed of technology is gonna change and that's gonna change how we interact. That's gonna make a lot of things that were once not possible um, realities because we have that infrastructure, we have that hardware out there. And you know, from a price standpoint, it won't be too, it'll, it'll be affordable or it'll be, it'll be ob obtainable is probably a better word. And so then the second thing I think that's going to be super interesting is the whole construct of, of, of augmented reality. I think within the next four years, uh, we're going to dial in to a better place. I think if we, if the past teaches us anything, I think we all love Clubhouse, but we all hated Clubhouse. Uh, what was interesting about it is Clubhouse did a lot more for tech than I think anyone wants to give it credit, but it, it, it made us rethink about um audio communication um you have twitter spaces now that uh has has taken it a certain direction i don't think that narrative is over i think you know the the way we communicate via audio is is going to change we're seeing fragments of that from clubhouse to twitter spaces to uh the google pixel 6 uh the 6 pro one of the more exciting features and functionalities of that device um actually which correlates to my first point and i didn't even and, and, and not not even intendedly, but this actually makes sense if you follow it, is the thing that's most exciting about the, the Google six, uh, the Google Pixel Pro uh, 6P or whatever it's called, is they have a Tensor chip in it. They have like their own Google uh, uh, silicone chip that they put in there. And the chip is so powerful that they can do on-device speech recognition that also uh, transforms the speed, it formats the speech. So it capitalizes and makes the correct names, it uh, puts the right punctuation and all that stuff in there. And it's like a speech, a text-to-speech engine that we've just never really seen before. It's like, it's almost magical the way it works. We are going to see how we communicate via audio, like get flipped upside down in the next uh, four years, right? And I think that, you know, if there's any opportunity um, and all, like, I would look at, I would revisit it. And like, we know that there's big money to be made there. If you look at the clubhouse valuation, you look at even before clubhouse, um, you remember the company, uh, I think it was called, um, they made that dragon software. I think it was called nuance or, uh, something it, 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 they made the, the, they, they, it's used a lot uh, for doctors and like they, they transcribe their medical notes with it. But I mean, uh, a very, very big company, right? 
when you start to think about it, like audio is something where if we then go forward, Apple has some new standards where their spatial, uh, their spatial, uh, their spatial software that they're using in their computers, their Macs, their AirPods is a, uh, it's kind of interesting because if you ask me, why is nobody building AR experiences for that? Right? Like, if you could just put in, like, we already know the power of storytelling and surround sound. Like, if you go to a, a movie theater, IMAX movie theater, uh, you've got all this, all this surround sound, all this, and that's all. That's like, if you just close your eyes, you can hear, you can feel the footsteps, you can hear what's what's going on. That's a form of storytelling. So I think audio has been underlooked um, for so long that we're gonna see uh, a re, we're gonna revisit the whole concept of audio. And I think all the tech companies know this, like you see Amazon, they're working on some stuff in the audio space, Facebook's working on some stuff in the audio space. When you have that many minds thinking about something, uh, things change. So that would be my second point. My third point uh, probably is going to be centered around uh, what it means, like, we have two trends and I'm not finished. Like you're getting in a raw, like this is me like thinking about the future. So this is raw. It's not, it's not polished, but there's a trend that I'm seeing here that I don't fully understand, but we have a never, we're, we're in a time where you have incredible wealth being generated and uh, debt being relinquished uh, because of that. And you have also a time where people are still struggling to get by. So you have incredible debt being created. Uh, it's about which story you want to pick. Like the both narratives are true. It's not, and it's it's true at very extreme possibilities, right? Like if you look at the stuff that's happening in crypto, you have people, uh, to your point, losing a Bitcoin today, that's about $60,000, right? Uh, let's say you you sold an NFT and, and you got one Bitcoin just to make it easy, right? You know, you made just $60,000. There was a Guardian uh, article the other day where there was a guy that says, I was struggling and, and begging people to pay my rent yesterday today i've made millions of dollars because of nfts that was the guardian article right and i look at it and i'm like dude that's the the, the numbers are, are are the numbers they fluctuate but still you have life-changing money just changing hands uh, at the top but covid was really hard on people and you have people still living on credit cards you have people that still haven't figured out the remote job situation you have people that still haven't figured out what they what what like they haven't bounced back a lot of people died and it quite quite inevitably, um, it takes time to restart. And so th those people aren't participating in NFTs. They're not, uh, you know, doing some of these crazy uh, stock bets and all that stuff. What they're doing is they're, they're, they're just trying to stabilize themselves so they can get back into society. And in some cases, the cost for that is um, literally like debt, like you're, you're they're, accru they're accruing debt. And so that's, 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 there's, there's something there, right? Like, I think that, like I said, this is fresh, but um, that's something that as a future thinker, you should be saying, where are we right now? Where are we going? There's going to be a lot of narratives that are true because of what's happening right now. And then my last point um, is a big one. And this is, this is probably bigger than all the three points combined. But because of COVID, because of the mass reset, we now have a point where we've reached globalization. You can now be in Romania and you have just as much as an equal opportunity to get a gig in the US or in Mexico than never before. And it's vice versa is true. The only barrier is language. And you're starting to see these super teams form where they like they're they're they speak multiple languages very well, very strongly, and they're able to muscle themselves into deals that wouldn't be before had. People are okay with, you know, VPNs. People are okay with remote work. People are okay with trying to figure out ways to do it. We, we, we were forced to do it and the skill sets and the strength that we have because of it, it means that we, you, you know, even in, in some of the agencies that I work with, dude, we've got more people overseas than we do in the US. And the work product hasn't gotten worse. It's gotten better. We've gotten more streamlined, more efficient. Costs went down. I'm not the only company that's happened to. And the, the biggest barrier, the biggest challenge is just finding project managers that speak different languages. And I think that there's, there's this new, um, it's funny because I kind of go back to the audio point that I made. There's this new beginning around uh, connectedness and what it means to be able to, to communicate uh, in not only your native language, but also a secondary language. And we've always known that to be true, but I think that the timing is now for that. If you speak more than one language 
right now and both are pretty efficient, um, there's a lot more money for you to be made than I think beforehand. And you don't really have to get on a plane anymore to go get that. You just literally need to meet the right people um, either digitally or submit and, and, and pitch. And like in doing that, you can build a lifestyle that is truly decentralized. Like, you know, you can be working on a project when you're sleeping because you've got a team overseas working on it. And the standards at which they do that are really, really well-defined. And the risk, you know, I mean, it's still there in some capacities. Like you're not going to have a lot of top secret sensitive information, but some of the stuff, um, such as if you were editing this podcast, it doesn't need to be done by someone on your team anymore. And if there's enough people freelancing where the quality of work has risen to a point where it's acceptable. And then there's also tools that help because of the pandemic that help streamline that workflow so much. Look at Zoom. Zoom has grown tremendously as a tool, still not my favorite piece of technology, but the fact that you can do so much through this tool uh, probably wouldn't be possible um, just two, three years ago. <laughs>